I want to tackle a subject this morning that to me is is important. It's it's one that in our present culture in America, uh, there's a lot of debate. Uh, So I just want to be real open because you and I may not agree on all this this morning. That's okay. We can still be friends. Hopefully I can get you to think through this a little uh, differently. Uh, Or maybe afterwards you can get me to think through it a little differently, right? It's this idea of suffering. And this is one of those areas that biblically I think we've let our American culture affect the way that we actually view some of this stuff because we live in a land that is awesome. We live in a land that was formed on biblical uh, principles. We are, and, and I think because of that, God has blessed us. I, I think that we have not faced a lot of persecution as believers. I would tell you that you travel to a lot of parts of the world. They've got this, they'll think quite differently on this whole idea of suffering than we do. I also don't want today to, to be a downer. I actually wanted to, you walk out of here encouraged, all right? The passage is Philippians 2, which we started with verse 25, and let's read it together. Uh, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficit in your service to me." So I asked this last week as a little bit of a teaser. When you think about a Christian, you think about healing, you think about sickness, the question becomes, why didn't Paul just simply heal Epaphroditus? Because clearly Paul had the gift of healing, correct? At least at a certain point in his life. I mean, we, we see it in Scripture. Let me give you a couple. Uh, we're going to do a lot of Scripture today. Hopefully you'll jot it down. Uh, maybe even go look at this later. Acts chapter 19. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that a handkerchief or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. The diseases left them. Evil spirits went out. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, can I categorize that for you? That is a good day in ministry. Right? When that kind of stuff is happening, it's a good day. Um, we also know Paul's in Rome. Remember, on his way to Rome, they're shipwrecked on a little island called Malta. And they're meeting the governor. His father is sick and Paul heals him. So we know Paul has the ability to heal. And so why is it that Paul just doesn't simply heal Epaphroditus? Why does he get sick to the point of death? Now, if you wrestled with it, maybe you've sat there and looked and say, well, Steve, he was healed. Maybe Paul did heal him. And I would say, yeah, you're right. Maybe he did. Because the final upshot of this is that Paul 
did, or, or, or that Epaphroditus was healed. What I'm going to suggest to you is we don't know exactly what happened, but I believe the implication of the text was, though, was that God healed him another way, whether it was through a, just simply through prayer or over the, the, his own body healing him, or maybe there was some medicine that he had, and you say, well, Steve, where do you get that? Let me see if I can do it. First of all, what we see is kind of this emotional roller coaster. Uh, you know, Paul mentions twice he's sick to the point of death. Uh, why would Paul have ever gotten let it get to that point? Why not, okay, heal him quickly and be over with that? Secondly, he talks about so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So the idea here was Paul is dealing with, I, I could have lost Epaphroditus, but then also then the word would have gotten to you, people that I love, and you would send him to me, and I, that extra sorrow. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you, you know somebody who, who is a healer and, and, and God's just given them that gift. And you go to the doctor and he says, you got a terminal illness. Would you really get all that upset? No, you go to your friend, you get healed, right? Paul had that ability. Why did he feel that emotion piece? Then you've got the, the whole time framework here. I mean, think about it. We talked about this before. If Philippi is 800 miles from Rome, right? Oklahoma City. Remember, we talked about that. And so the sickness is just not, he got the flu and went downhill really quick. I mean, the sickness has gone on so much so that Epaph the word of Epaphroditus being so sick had already gotten to Philippi, 800 miles away, and all the way back so that Epaphroditus knows that they know. And that's what's now grieving his heart. And so what I'm going to suggest to you is I believe God healed him. Again, how he did it, we don't know. But my suggestion would be that I don't think it was through a miraculous peace that Paul had. In fact, what I'm going to suggest is I think the evidence of Scripture is that though Paul appears that he had the gift, we just read that. We've seen it in different places that at other times he couldn't. Uh, for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he even talks about himself having this thorn in the flesh. Well, people say, well, we don't know if that's sickness. No, but it was in the flesh. It was something physical. And he prays three times, and God says, no, my grace is sufficient. Then you have Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. He's talking to Timothy and he says, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, for your many ailments. Now that's kind of an interesting verse when you look at it because A, he's, Timothy's dealing with sickness. And, and why again, why doesn't Paul just heal him so he doesn't have to deal with it? But it's in the context that Paul's been talking to them about elders and elders have to live this example. And part of it is they had, aren't not to be given to much wine. Again, the implication, I think, is that Timothy trying to be an example to the elders isn't drinking any wine. And he's only drinking water, which is not really, you know, in, that part of the world then, in fact, up until recently, I mean, it's just the water off often had impurities and it would create sickness. And Paul say, no, no, you need to drink some wine. There's a medicinal piece to it for you. So I think that the suggestion would be is that this wasn't consistent with Paul. And so the 
comes back to that question, well, what about Christians and sickness and disease? And, and again, the argument goes, well, what about the book of Acts? We see people getting healed all the time. Well, you've got to ask the question, are the stories there, are they descriptive of what God did, miraculous pieces, or are they prescriptive? Are they telling us how it's going to be, that, that there's just always going to be that way? And, and again, that's an argument, that's it's an interesting debate, uh, you know, and we, you know, to be honest with you, I'd like to think it was prescriptive, just not sure that it was. I mean, when you think about some of the other stories in the Bible, we would see them more descriptive than prescriptive. For instance, you know, we look at America, right? We look at America turning away from God. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But most of us aren't necessarily expecting fire and brimstone, right? But even though that happened there, because it was descriptive, and we get that, or that when God wants to bring a people out uh, you know it's, it's not always the plagues of Egypt that was a unique place a miraculous place and and then you know I have people say well what about what about that verse that by his stripes you're healed right I, I hear that a lot that, that by your stripes and it's taken from Isaiah chapter 53 it's quoted again by Peter in first Peter chapter 2 but he was pierced through for our transgressions he's crushed for our iniquities the chastening for our well-being upon him and by his scourging we're healed or by his stripes is the way the King James used to put it and doesn't that mean that in the cross of Christ when Jesus died that not only was our 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 sins forgiven and our soul fixed, but that now also we have in the cross of Christ healing so that as Christians, we, God doesn't want us to be sick and we can, we can be healed. Again, I, I would push back at that, number one, because when you look at the context, we talk about that all the time, right? Context is king. In the context of Isaiah 53, the context of 1 Peter chapter 2 is not physical healing. It's spiritual healing. It's the healing of our soul, our relationship with God that we're separated from him. If it does deal with physical healing, you also got to be reminded that there's part of me, which is my body, which has not been redeemed yet. My soul has been redeemed. It has been made new. I'm a new creature in Christ. But my body hasn't changed yet. My body changes either when Jesus comes back in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, or it's my body that changes at death. Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that we have a building of God that's not made with hands, it's eternal in the heavens. And so the question becomes, well, so... so you know, is it a part of today? Does God heal or not? And my answer to that is, does God heal? Absolutely. Absolutely God heals. Man, I, I could tell you stories, of, uh, and probably some of you could tell stories. Uh, from here till next week, to be honest with you, I can remember a little girl we prayed over. She was two years old. She had been born with all these holes in her stomach, and they were supposed to heal up. 
And it would happen by the time she's two. And if not, they were going to take her stomach out and have to put it in a mechanical stomach. And so we anointed her with oil. In, re- in reference to J- James chapter 5, we prayed over her. She went in. You know, they did not find one hole in her stomach. God healed her. It's cool. I- I've seen people. In fact, you know, every week, and we love it as a staff, we get together. We pray for 75 to 100 prayer requests from our church. A lot of them have to do with physical healing. And, and, and it's neat and wonderful stories. And does God do that? Yes. But I would also say, does God heal everyone? And the answer is no. In fact, I'd actually give you a better answer. I think sometimes God really does heal. He just heals them better than we want them to be healed. Because sometimes God takes them home. You know, I I think of my dad. So two years ago now, he's diagnosed with leukemia. Given a couple weeks to a couple months to live. God gave him a couple years. I truly believe that that was an act of grace and kindness from God. That God, you know, used medicines, used doctors, answered prayer. That was wonderful. But end of August, God took him home. My dad's never going to be sick again now. In fact, could I suggest to you that every person that Jesus healed... And Peter healed and John healed, ended up dying of something. In fact, even Lazarus was brought back from the dead, but he's not walking around here today, right? Something, why? Well, because in God's eyes and the understanding that everything here ultimately is temporary. Because we live in this land of mortals. But one day, God will make it good. You say, well, Steve, why do you bring it up? Because I I see Christians that really get into some bondage in this. That on the one hand, if, if they're praying and they're believing and all, but healing doesn't come, then they feel such guilt that somehow they didn't have enough faith that it's on them. And there's this sense that somehow maybe they've let this person down. They were praying for someone, and, and yet the person didn't get well. And, and this sense of guilt, or on the other hand... They believe that God's let them down, and they get angry at God. And all I'm going to say is, I think we should pray for healing. I believe that we should ask for it. In fact, as a, as a church, if, you know, if you're sick, we will come as elders. We'll anoint you with oil, according to James chapter 5. We'll pray over you. But I think as believers, what we've got to understand is that we pray. We pray like Jesus. Let this cup pass from me. But, Father, not my will. Your will be done. And I think we can understand that better if we take a step back. And we, so today I kind of want to leave this, and I, want, I, I do, I want, I want to step back and take a little bit bigger, like a 30,000 foot look at this. Because the truth is, folk, we are citizens of heaven, but we're living here in a fallen world today. Right? We're not home yet. In fact, the reality is we are living in the land of the dying, not the land of the living. And for those of us who are a little more mature, we get this, you know. The, the, the body is kind of on this, you know, we talk about evolution, trust me, these bodies are more, you know, if you're at least you're past 30. Uh, you know, you, you, you realize, you know, when you wake up 
in the morning sore and you think, what did I do yesterday? And then you realize you really didn't do anything, right? You're just sore, right? Or if you do do something and you're reminded about muscles you forgot you had because they're so sore. It's just, that's, we are in this, this place. That's the place that you and I live today. We're living in this fallen world. And whether it's sickness or it's sorrow or it's pain or it's broken relationships or it's persecution or it's trials or it's testings, whatever you want to do in this world, we're going to face it. Why? Because everybody does. There is no utopia. We're living in a fallen place where the, where the enemy is still told to us by Paul that he is the God of this age, the prince and power of the air. He's a defeated foe and he will one day be dethroned, but that's not today. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer today. I want to be a person of hope. I want to be a person of encouragement. But folks, Jesus told us this, right? This isn't new. If this comes as a news flash, again, I'm, I, I want to remind you it's not new with me. Jesus told us. Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, these things I've spoken to me so that in me you may have peace. Great. Why? Because in the world you will have tribulation. But you can be a good cheer of overcome the world. And of course, Jesus, this is the night he's going to be betrayed. He knows what the disciples are going to face the next few days. He also knows what they're going to face after he raises from the dead and ascends to heaven. Do you know that all but John are going to die a martyr's death? Because they're a follower of Christ. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. That we live in this fallen world. But here's the promise promise is is that in me you'll have peace and folk that's where the hope comes I mean this world is just a broken place there's nobody that gets through here that doesn't have heartache and sadness and, and all of those those pieces that go with it but you and I have the privilege as the children of God to deal with this life to deal with the brokenness of this world to, to deal with the craziness that's happening in Washington and the world scene and the economics and all of this with the joy with the knowledge that God is with us right You think about what David said in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Notice what he doesn't say. Because you'll lead me to a different valley. No. No. In the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. Folk, we're in the land of the dying. And the reality is, and again, I, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer today. We look, Jesus could return. This could be the day. But if Jesus doesn't return, guess what? That's the, that's the future. But we don't have to fear it because he's with us. He's given us the promise to be absent from the bodies, to be present with him. We don't have to fear. Think about what he says in Romans chapter 8, that wonderful scripture, that nothing could separate us from the love of God. He says, I'm convinced 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things that come nor power nor, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, implied in all of those things are they can be seen as things that somehow might possibly separate us from God's love because they're hard. Death is hard. Principalities and demonic forces are hard. Life is hard. His whole point is, you know Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. We live in a fallen world, but we live here as citizens of heaven. We have the promise he'll never leave us and never forsake us. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to talk about a theology of suffering. Now, doesn't that sound positive? <laughs> I didn't throw it in because we're going to get to it in chapter 3. But do you remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3? That I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Look, we're going to go through difficult times. It's just life. It's the land in which we live. And a theology is just simply an understanding what the Bible says. If you were with us for any of the ordination, we looked at the, you know, what does the Bible say about Christ, who he is? He's the God-man. What does the Bible say about the Bible that is inspired? Well, this is just, what does the Bible tell us? So that when we face it, we'll know how to face it. When we go through the, the testings and the trials and those difficult pieces of life. And so if I was going to build you a theology of suffering, it would simply start with this. That we just understand we're going to face it. Now it's, it comes from all different terms. And again, it's not always sickness and disease. Sometimes it's just difficult places in life. Sometimes it's persecution. In fact, and, and let me again just run through these scriptures. First Thessalonians chapter 3, he uses the term afflictions. He says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for them. Wow. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that you were going to suffer affliction. And it came to pass that, you know, Paul says, we talked to you. And, and what's interesting, he was only with this church for three weeks. But he talked to them, hey, you got to have some tough stuff here. It's okay. Because God will be with you in it. You think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul has just outlaid, you know, everything he's been through. The beatings, the shipwrecks, the stonings. And this is what he says, therefore we do not lose heart. For though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. In uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, all that live godly will be persecuted. You know, that's one of those pieces, again, in America, we don't, we don't face a lot of, but in most parts of the world, to take the name of Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to be tough. There's a piece of that brings about suffering. Peter, talking to the Christians there in Asia Minor, says, Beloved, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing has happened for you 
but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. The point is what we've got to understand that in this life, we're going to face some tough stuff. But the beauty is that we've already talked about this next piece of the theology of suffering is that whatever we walk through, he will be with us. We will never face it alone. Jesus said, listen, in the world you're going to have afflictions, but you can be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. In me you will have peace. This year we've been singing that song, Another in the Fire. Man, I love that song. And there's a phrase in it. It's not until the end, kind of in the tag, but it just captures me every time. He says, ah, the song says, and by the way, what you and I have sung is this. I'll count the joy in every battle. Why? Because I know that's where you'll Folk, that is really good theology. Because I know that whatever the battle, whatever the strain, whatever the hurt, whatever this piece of suffering is in my life, I'll count it joy because I know that's exactly where Jesus will be. That's where we will find him. And the great thing is, is that not only will he be with us, but he'll use us in our life to make us more like Jesus. He'll use it for his glory. Whatever it is, he, he knows that we're walking through. That's Romans 8, 28. You know, God works all things together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And we've talked so often that that verse is not God's going to make everything hilarious in your life. Everything you walk through, oh, God, that was fun. Let's do that one again. No, it's not what it says. He says, I... He will use it to our good according to those of us who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? It's in the very next verse. Is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. You know, I think that's what, uh, that's what James had in mind. Do you remember what James says? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Joy? Trials? Yeah, Why? Because knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. God takes these difficult things of this life as we walk through, as we deal with suffering. And he teaches us about himself. He teaches us about his faithfulness. He builds patience and endurance into our life. He'll use it both in our lives to make us more like Jesus and he uses it for his glory to touch people around us. Let them see the reality of Jesus in us. It's, it's an awesome thing. And you know, you can't build a theology of suffering, a good theology of suffering without understanding that the Bible always reminds us in, in the fallenness of this world and what we have to walk through that there's a better day coming. That one day it will be worth it all. In fact, do you remember, we, we've already looked at it today, 2 Corinthians 4, all that Paul had been through, all the stonings, all the beatings. But remember what he said? 
For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's that day. That day when we stand before Jesus, man, it's going to count. He says it again. Peter does in 1 Peter. Remember, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial. Why? So that the revelation of, the glory, of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Folk, it looks ahead to that day. And, and if, so, so if I could sum up, if I could just give you one line that reminds us of how are we supposed to deal when suffering comes in our life, to be honest with you, Paul's already stated it. It's in 120. This ought to be our mindset. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's it. So for me to live is Christ. And so whatever comes in my path, if, if I have to go through some hurt, if I have to go through a difficult time, if I have to deal with this stuff, then great, I'm going to live Jesus. But oh, on that day when we get home, that's going to be a good day. Folk, we live in a fallen world. If you know Jesus, we are the citizens of heaven. We look forward to the day with the redemption of this body, and we will be in that place where there is no more sorrow, there is no more hurt, there is no more pain, there is no more broken relationships, there is no more sickness, there is no more disease. But that's not the world we live in right now. It's this world. And so we pray and we trust and we can see God do some miraculous things. And sometimes he'll take these things away, but sometimes he asks us to walk through it. And so how do we walk through it? We walk through it to honor him. We walk through it. And so how do we pray? Do we pray for healing? Sure, absolutely. But do we also pray, God, whatever you want to accomplish in my heart, or God, however you want to reach other people, yes. Lord, we trust you. I'll count the joy in every battle because I know that's where you'll be.